And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. In a world dominated by mob rule and pointless bickering, one man, a weatherman, stands to lose everything. And one man stands up to fight for the legacy of an inspirational storyteller. Coming this February, Disney's Proxy War. (laughs) Welcome, everybody. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here at Sci-Fi for Me. Glad to have all of you with us. And it's almost, I mean, get the popcorn, right? Because this is going to be something just... (sighs) <sighs> fun to watch. All right, we are we are live on video, but also we're available as a podcast uh, in various different places. So uh, you can listen to us, but you can also watch us on uh, the different video platforms. So join us wherever it is that you feel most comfortable. Um, and we've also got the live chat over on the video channels. Uh, you can leave a comment if you're watching in replay. Social media connections, email, live from the bunker at sci-fi4me.com. And, of course... The Discord. We have a Discord server, so join the Discord server. <clears throat> All right. So, yes, the proxy war. Uh, the proxy war is at hand, and uh, so it's uh, got to be interesting. Dan Danford joins us. He is the CEO, founder of the Family Investment Center in Kansas City. And I I think Matthew might be joining us later, but I'm not sure. But we're going to go ahead and j- jump in here because... It's it's getting it's getting spicy, Dan. It is, <laughs> um, and part of the stuff that we've seen is that you know it's been going on for months. Uh, most of us who follow you know Disney, it, it's showed up on our radar recently, but it's apparently something that's been going on for a while. Yeah, and I think that was probably what was most surprising for me is that you know the the original narrative was you know quarterly earnings call comes in christine mccarthy panics and she, oh bob chamberlain is a terrible manager and we got to do something about this and something must be done and and board and emergency vote and panic and turns out that's not the case and christine mccarthy apparently is not long for the company either even though she's a bob Iger acolyte she may be on the way out the door Looks like she's got some baggage. Um, (laughs) You know, what we're finding out is part of the proxy war, first of all, was to keep JPAC. uh, Probably as they grew more uh, aggressive in getting that seat on the board, it sounds like it probably escalated up to the chair of the board. And that's when they decided to act. And that's when they decided to get rid of JPAC and bring um, Sir Robert Robert back um, as as the CEO. Um, Everybody thought that that was probably some particular incident. It's looking more now like it was the culmination of um, this attempt to get a seat on the board by basically a, a corporate raider. Um, somebody who, uh, you know, has made a career out of going into moribund boards 
and lighting a fire under them. And uh, so, and that is now aggressively going to play out because it looks like they are going to seek uh, proxy votes. In other words, if the board won't approve that, I mean, all basically how corporate structures work is, um, you know, the board is actually in charge, they're the stewards, but most of the time they're sort of selected by management and the other board members. It's true that they are elected by shareholders, but it's also true that shareholders typically vote for whoever the management suggests. When somebody launches a proxy war, what they're doing is saying that we're going to go straight to the shareholders. Uh, we're going to express our dissatisfaction with how the board and the uh, managers are you know, running the place. And we're going to try to get enough votes from shareholders to get that seat or seats on the board so that we can have some impact on what's going on. Well, and and the other complication that's added to this is not only are they taking out Susan Arnold as chairman of the board and replacing her with Mark Parker, but also they're eliminating that seat. So now yes. there's not even an empty seat for Nelson Peltz to want to say, put me in that seat because it's gone now. Well, it's clear that the board and management don't want him on, okay? So they're doing everything they can to keep that from happening. Um, But it's also true that, you know, when you look at the the presentation that was put together by Tryon, or Tryon, that's that's his his group, the Disney stock has underperformed. I mean, and that's the argument. The argument is, hey, they've had all these great plans and all these people do stuff, but this stock is not kept up with even the S&P 500. And so you need somebody like me to step in and keep them honest. That And that's the argument. I find it interesting also as part of this presentation that uh, not only are they sitting there saying, you know, the share price is, at a, is, is trading at an eight-year low, but also they go through and look at, and let me see if I can find it here. They, do, they have a chart somewhere in here that lists the board members right. and how, here it is, how the stock has underperformed with each one of them. And basically it's like as long as this person has been on the board – the stock's been underperforming this much. And as long as this person's been on the board, the stock's been underperforming this much. And it's a it's a it's a damning statement here. I mean, this is an indictment on the entire board of directors, and most of them have only been there for well, I'm looking here, two years, four years, five years, seven years. Susan's been there for sixteen years, and of course you got Robert Iger, who's been there for, you know, about twenty-two is according to this. And now suddenly there's a there's a term limit on board of directors. Oh, you can only go for 15 years, uh, which means now Susan Arnold can't be there anymore. But I'm wondering how many of these other people are Iger acolytes as opposed to people who are more aligned with, say, Bob Chapek or Ike Perlmutter, because his name has suddenly come up again out of the blue. I mean, I I have not heard Ike Perlmutter's name since uh since kevin well uh how long ago was that when kevin feige was it four years ago five years ago kevin feige basically went to bob Iger 
and said, I'm not going to deal with the Marvel story group anymore. Ike Perlmutter and, and, and uh, Joe, uh, Joe Quesada and all these other people. I'm going to report directly to Alan Horn because my movies make bajillion dollars. And I'm going to say I'm only going to report to Alan Horn or else I'm going to leave. And we haven't heard Ike Perlmutter's name since Marvel Television got folded into Marvel Studios and, that, and all that was gone. And now here's his name, and he's a he's an excuse me he's an ally of Nelson Peltz, and suddenly that puts a different complexion on things because Ike Perlmutter got raked over the coals for being a Trump supporter, and so now now you have this potential injection of real world politics even more than what we had already with the with the stuff going on in Florida. And now it's gonna now it's gonna look like not just Nelson Peltz is looking at the questionable business practices, but now they could sit there and set it up to be right versus left, you know, conservative versus versus liberal, political versus you know, whatever. That's not a good move, I don't think. But you know, um, I've been managing money for people for thirty or thirty-five years, and I'm also acutely aware of the fact that performance. Um, sometimes you look great, sometimes you look terrible. But, you know, performance over the long term depends on when you look. Yeah. Okay. So today we're looking like on that chart with the Disney board members and stuff. You know, we're looking at it today when the stock is trading at a hundred or somewhere in that neighborhood, whatever. But if we draw in the same chart a couple of years ago when it was trading at 160, they would have looked much, much better. Mm -hmm. So what you're really getting on those charts and stuff is the devastating effects of the last couple of years. Okay. Right. And part of that is the pandemic. Part of it is their stupid political moves. I mean, part of it's all that kind of stuff, but it's not necessarily fair to say, well, you know, the company has underperformed forever. No, it's underperformed a lot over the last couple of years. Yeah. And, Part of what, you know, the, 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 this proxy war is about is, you know, what are we going to do today to turn things around? Okay. Right. And it's probably true that the management under Bob Iger and others, you know, they, they, they're still focused on their kind of long-term plans. This is what we need to do to turn things around, blah, blah, blah. And what the proxy war is about is, hey, you need to put me on the board and we need to do some things right now to turn this ship. Yeah. And it really is a ship. I mean, it is a huge corporation. Well, and I don't um, think it's a good look to have Mark Parker be the one that comes in to be the chairman of the board after, you know, because he's he's associated with Nike and Nike's had their own PR problems, especially considering the, you know, the whole slave labor in China thing. But the other part of that is, you know, here's a here's a headline from Hollywood Reporter. Disney punches back against Nelson Peltz, says activist investor does not understand his business. Well, I'd be looking at the numbers now for Disney and I'm thinking, well, maybe the board of directors that's right now currently in place doesn't understand its business because it's, every decision I, they've made I, I, has lost them money. I am certain that that is part of, of the discussion at this point is um you know, they, if here I'm an outsider, I don't own any Disney share 
shares. I've never owned Disney shares except as part of mutual funds and things like that. And I can say, well, they're an entertainment company and they understand the entertainment business. But sometimes it takes a business person to come in and look at the balance sheet and say, hey, you need to do this, 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 and this. And companies are usually not very responsive to that because lots of times it involves, you know, making cuts. It's we need to get rid of people or we need to sell off divisions or we need to do things. And oftentimes management is pretty invested in those very things, those people, those divisions, that kind of stuff. Uh, But it's, it's a business person coming in and saying, you know, this is what we need to look at. And they probably don't want to do anything that dramatic would be my guess. Some people have posited the theory that another reason, uh, a, a, a significant reason, why they don't want Nelson Peltz or anybody else coming in from the outside is for that very reason. Somebody's going to come in and say, okay, let me see the books. Exactly. And if somebody from the outside comes in and looks at the books, either that, that means either the books have been cooked, which is what they were saying, you know, well, Bob, Bob Chabat cooked the books. Okay, how do you know? Let's see the receipts. How did he cook the books? What exactly did he do? What's what what got changed? But the other thing is the exposure in the in the FTX stuff. You know, if if we can keep it internal, we can keep it to ourselves. We can keep this yeah. things keep this thing from we getting out. Fast. We haven't heard the end of that story yet, right. but it's clear that Bob Iger and others were involved personally. Yeah. And it's um, it's not beyond the realm of reason that the Disney company was involved as well. I haven't I have I've heard that speculation, but I've not seen anything. Yet. Well, the but dots, the but see, the, the, the dots have been drawn, though, because yes. there were oh, all this yeah. all this media about Disney getting involved in Polygon as a crypto and right. po- Polygon had a direct connection with FTX. So was Polygon just the pass through? Or, you know, what was the connection there? So, yeah, there, there, is, there is direct, yes, they're, expo- they're, they're connected to this FTX thing. We still don't know how large that connection is right. and all that kind of stuff, which is important. Yeah. But, yeah, I agree with that. Uh, the other thing I'd say is, you know, with, with a conglomerate the size of Disney, mm-hmm. okay, you don't have to cook the books. You know, what, what you do is... Um, you build financial statements that obscure things. Okay. So you have line items. Maybe you have hundreds of line items in the, in the financials. Well, you know, you can see the numbers, but you don't know necessarily where those numbers come from either on expenses or on revenue. Now you should be able to drill down and see that, but for the typical person looking at the numbers, they aren't getting the kind of detailed look that a, you know, uh, a proxy war guy, a corporate raider guy, a restructuring guy would come in, he would drill down, and that's where he might make suggestions. So so the idea of cooking the books doesn't necessarily imply anything illegal. What it does imply is that it's pretty easy to hide stuff on yeah. a balance sheet the size of business. Well, and, and, you know, Tryon's making all this presentation about how, how they have improved things in a number of different places. Um, and Procter & Gamble keeps coming up because that's, that's where Nelson Peltz and Susan Arnold got connected. And then a couple of other people that were on the board that were in that camp 
all came from Procter and Gamble. So there's there's that. But you know, you look at some of this, uh, you know, <laughs> do, excuse me, Dr Pepper, Snapple, Heinz, Cadbury, Tiffany, GE, Invesco, Kraft Foods, Wendy's. These are not small companies. These are not these are not you know little podunk mom and pop shops that nobody's ever heard about. These are pretty significant big big players in the corporate world. And, you know, if Tryon's got a track record of coming in and saying, look, we got involved in these companies and now here they're doing all this much better. We need to do this with Disney. And and they make the point in this presentation that a lot of the things that Disney is suffering from are self-inflicted. You guys have done this to yourself. And, you know, whatever whatever motivation there, whether it's you know, ideologically driven or, you know, woke politics or, or just stupid business moves. You know, we overspent buying all of these other companies. You know, who knows? But, you know, he's basically, they're laying out the case. You guys have done this to yourself. Somebody is, somebody needs to come in from the outside to fix it because you guys don't know how to fix what you broke. And, and it's also true. And so absolutely, that's part of the story. And they are what are considered to be activist investors. So they look for these situations where they can go in, they can get a seat on the board and they can make a difference. In other words, they can drive up the profitability of the company by looking at the books and saying this needs to be done, that needs to be done. The other thing I'd say is even with Bob Iger, who I you know respect and like, you know, a lot of, of the explosive growth that Disney enjoyed under his leadership was under acquisitions, basically. They went out and bought yeah. other companies and stuff. And, you know, a booming economy, you know, makes that work really great. So you buy another company, they were already profitable, you know, you own them for a couple of years and, you know, the whole thing works out great. Where it stumbles typically is when you run into this kind of recession or in the case of the pandemic where, you know, someone you bought really, really, really suffers under these bad situations. And now instead of adding a bunch of profits to your bottom line, it adds the opposite. It adds losses to your bottom line. So even an acquisition that looked great back in the Trump years, might not look so great over the last three or four years. So, and that was a lot of Bob Iger's heritage. I mean, that was a lot of what he did for the Disney company. So, you know, it looked great when he left because the pandemic hadn't hit yet. Now looking back on it, it's kind of like, you know, Bill Clinton uh, saying, you know, I happen to be the president of the United States during some of the best boom years ever. So I must be great. Well, right. yes, I'm not taking that away from him necessarily. But what I'm also saying is he happened to be president through some pretty good economic times. Yeah. And with a company like Disney that's been around for 100 plus years, I mean, you've seen boom times and you've seen bust times. And part of the legacy of the person running it was what were the times when I was there? Well, and I think the other part, I mean, he goes through here about the Fox acquisition. He's They're making the case that Disney spent too much for it for the amount of return they're getting. And you can figure the pandemic in there. How, how, much, how much do you think this would be different if we had not been subjugated yeah. and, and, and 
hit by this hit by this worldwide global panic thing? It, I, I think it makes a huge difference. And I think, you know, seriously, uh, so that, that might be one of the attractions behind the Nike guy coming on as chairman of the board is no matter what you think about Nike, it is a huge consumer business. Okay. They have done really well over the years by serving the retail consumer. So does Disney, except Disney counts on that, you know, as eyeballs, you know, either eyeballs in the theater, eyeballs, you know, on online or whatever. And uh, they've been hurt. They've been hurt badly. I mean, everybody has. And so I think part of the issue that Nelson Peltz is, is fighting is it's been bad times for the last couple of years. Yeah. I'm not sure that is management's fault, but it gives him an opportunity to step in. Well, and it, it, in point of fact here, they even say three years ago, Bob Iger invited Tryon to come in and have discussions and, you know, in, you know meet with Nelson Peltz and, and let's have some discussions here. But then it says, you know, it says here in September 2019, Nelson Peltz spoke with the board at the invitation of Bob Iger. And then you've got November 2022, try and start a discussion with Bob Chapek about the challenges and opportunities facing the company, requested a board seat, and then shortly after that, they fired Bob Chapek. I mean, the, the timeline starts to look a little hinky here after all of this, because they said, you know, after that, it's been pretty much radio silence. Every time that we've made some kind of a presentation or we've, we've said, you know, hey, we have some stuff to look at, you know, Procter and Gamble, Heinz, Disney. You know, every, every time we've got a presentation, we get an invitation to meet with the board and have these discussions, and that hasn't happened yet. It says here Disney did not even allow Nelson to meet any directors prior to turning down his request until we flagged that it was a highly questionable decision to jump to a decision without hearing us out. And then we find out through. Uh, other other reporting, WDW Pro and, and Valiant Renegade, that at 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 some point in all of this, they basically circled the wagons and said the only people who are allowed to talk to Tryan are Bob Iger and 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 Diane uh, uh, Christine McCarthy. No no other points of contact. And it sounds like they're they're in lockdown mode. It was like we can't we can't have anybody saying anything out of turn that we don't know about, which goes back to we've got to cover up the FTX thing. This this feels like it feels like we're we're in in defensive bunker mode at, at this point almost. At least to me on the outside looking in, I don't understand all this stuff, but that's what it looks like. Is that we have something to hide. Well, and so that may very well be, and like I said, we still don't know the amounts of money involved or any of the details, so that may or may not be true. I just don't know. But I'll also tell you people get in a bunker mode when they're threatened. And so the very notion, they obviously know Tryon, okay? Yeah. I mean, for, for three or four years, they have danced together occasionally, right? They've met what, I mean, Nelson Peltz has met with JPAC, he's met with Iger, he's met with various people on the board. They have obviously decided 
that he represents a threat. They, they, they want to protect the board and the company from him and Tryon. Don't know why. My guess is it's because he's a disruptor. Uh, if, if he gets his place on the board, he will disrupt business as usual for the Disney company. Is there like, a, well, like you say, you know, maybe in the last five or seven years, they've lost their way anyway. So maybe he's going to go back and, and disrupt it and take it back to what it was before. Or maybe he's got some other picture completely different from that. But whatever it is, they clearly are 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 spooked by it. Well, and it, and it makes me it may it, it has me going back to the politics of it because remember Bob Iger wanted to run for president on the Democrat oh, yes. ticket. Yes. You know, they were talking about ambassador to China at one point and all of this, you know, look at me, I'm so great because of all of these acquisitions. This was clearly, you know, Bob Iger's a political animal more than anything else, I think at this point. And when Nelson when Nelson Peltz and Ike Perlmutter come in, <clears throat> You know, there's there's that guilt by association. Well, if Perlmutter's a Trump guy, he's bad. And so if he's backing up Bob Chapek and now he's backing up Nelson Peltz, well, they're bad. And they and this this doesn't feel like these decisions are being driven by uh, a focus on business so much as it's other factors, you know, because you're still they're still having to deal with the collapse of Reedy Creek. And and that kind of thing going on in Florida. Now they have to deal with that. You have whatever is going to happen in the next three to six months because of all of these people that are dropping dead uh, unexpectedly because of reasons. Well, what is that going to do? Does that mean we go under lockdown again? Do we get put back in under house arrest? What does that do to the parks? If we're not able to travel, if we're not able to congregate, if we're not able to, to, to go anywhere, do anything, see anybody... That's going to kill the parks all over again. So they're, they're, it doesn't feel like they're making decisions based on uh, business factors so much as something else. Maybe? I mean, am I reading that wrong? Well, I think, you know, a company this size and with this diverse uh, of customers, um, all those things come into play. I mean, every bit of I was at a conference uh, this summer where Bob Iger spoke, and, and this was before he went back to Disney, basically. And one of the things he did was he, he just spoke eloquently and lengthily about China and opening parks there and that kind of thing. And what a remarkable opportunity it offered to Disney. It's probably just because of the population, if nothing else. Yeah. But that also, to me, um, that also plays into the selection of the Nike um, contact as chairman of the board. I mean, yes, I understand the part about slave labor and all that kind of thing, but it also goes with Nike and the NBA, um, you know, in that marketplace. Yeah. Okay, it's a huge opportunity for a consumer uh, company, and and so it makes you wonder if that wasn't a political decision as well. I mean, you can't escape the politics when you're that big and, you know, you have that many customers, you know, across the globe. 
it's it's not just a it's not just a Florida decision. It no. is a worldwide decision. Well, and and you know, lo and behold, here we are. You know, what three, four months after Bob Iger gets back in there, and now yeah. Disney movies are starting to get released in China again. Funny how that works. Funny how that works, isn't it? Yeah. Um, but I, I can tell you. I mean, he 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 speaks eloquently about that. So, no. um, it, I mean that yeah. that may be part of the decision to bring him back. Honestly. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. All right. So, um, so we're going to take a real quick break. When we get back, I want to, I want to talk real quick, a little bit about, uh, the wizards of the coast stuff, just a little bit, but we got a bunch of layoffs getting, getting, uh, laid out this week. Uh, so we're going to do this, but here's, here's what I want to do before we go to a break. I want to introduce a new tool that we have here at, uh, at sci-fi for me. This was, this was sent to us by a, by a, a, a listener, a viewer, um, this is a this is a new tool. It's called Mr. Predicto, and I'm going to turn this thing on, and I'm going to ask it a question. <clears throat> All right, so let's 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 see here. The answer is yes. The answer is yes. I haven't answered asked a question yet. All right, so Mr. Predicto, is Disney going to survive the proxy war in February? I heard All it, right. but I didn't. I don't know what it said. It said there is no doubt, so they'll survive. <laughs> we don't it know what they're going to look like, but they'll survive. All right, we're going to take a break. When we get back, we're going to be looking at a bunch of layoffs uh, and um, uh, fun times ahead, folks. Stand by. Delivering the multiverse since two thousand nine. This is Sci Fi for Me Radio. We found out the president of, of Wizards of the Coast just got promoted and is now going to be running Hasbro. And here, this whole time, we were sitting there thinking that they were getting ready to sell Wizards of the Coast. And they might. Maybe we, we want to keep him. All of the rest of you go away. The H2O Podcast, Monday night at 8, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. Good morning, Multiverse. Saturday morning at 11, 10 Central, only on Sci-Fi for Me TV. The buttons keep moving on me, folks. <laughs> All right, welcome back. We are live from the bunker. Jason Hunt here talking with Dan Danford of the Family Investment Center in Kansas City. And uh, we... We've got a we've got other stuff that's setting up here. Um, layoffs, lots and lots of layoffs, and it doesn't look like anything's going to stop anytime soon. We're gonna we're gonna take a look here at uh, Spotify first because they're laying off six uh, percent of their staff, around ninety eight hundred people. Including Don Ostroff, who is the executive CEO, the person in charge. <laughs> and I looked at this, I thought, Don Ostroff, I've heard her name before. Where have I heard her name before? And then I realized when I looked it up, she was the second president of UPN when UPN died and merged with, uh, with um, the WB to form the CW. 
that's how far back she goes in in all of this mess. Like, oh, yeah. and it. <laughs> on the one hand, it doesn't surprise me that we have these same people showing up over and over and over again. But on the other I, on the other hand, I'm like, do we have to keep using the same people over and over and over again? I mean, when when do we get past? I mean, it's 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 is it nepotism? Is it you know, cronyism. How do you decide? Well, I'm going to jump from CW to Condé Nast to NBC to this to that to the other, and you just keep going in these different places. And is that a sign of success, or is that a sign of you can't make it anywhere? You go someplace else. What? I, I, well, I, I think it's a uh, you know you see it in the NFL as well, um, where you know you have this very select group of coaches, head coaches and others. And um, it is considered uh, better to hire a head coach who's lost a couple other places than it is to take a flyer on somebody you don't know. And so I think, you know, it's the same thing. You can't be blamed for a bad hiring decision if you hire somebody who's had success someplace else even if they haven't always had success someplace else. Mm. So um, it, it's just a safe hire to keep hiring the same people over and over again. Yeah. Well, according to this article here, Spotify on Monday laying off about 6% of its workforce, right. about 600 people. I read that wrong in the headline. Uh, right. stre- streaming audio giant becomes the latest company in the technology space to cut back on staff amid a challenging economy. Company says it expects to take severance costs between 38 and 49 million. Uh, the layoffs unveiled by CEO Daniel Eck in a blog post. Uh, um, Chief Content and Advertising Officer Don Ostroff will depart the company as part of a big reorganization. And and it's it's interesting because you know, um, I was watching a video from Perch about uh, the Comicsology layoffs. Which is part of a big overall block of layoffs at Amazon. And he he uh, had an interesting insight because you had all of these companies that in the pandemic, while we were all under house arrest, we're all doing everything online, right? And so in all of these spaces, all of these companies are sitting there going, okay, well, how do we handle all of this new online business and online traffic and online transactions and all this other stuff? And now as we're coming out of house arrest, at least for now, and, you know, people are starting to adjust and they figure out what their model actually is, they're starting to realize, well, I don't need 50 people to do the job of eight. I don't need, you know, well, I'm going to look at Twitter, you know, we, 75% of the staff is gone and Twitter is running just fine. You're seeing all of this redundancy be, being eliminated because there's a recession, and folks, it, we're in a recession. I don't care. I don't care what President Asterix says. We're in a recession, and we have been for the last couple of quarters, and that's got to be factoring into it too, isn't it, Dan? Yeah, and I, you know, I think it's important to remember these are technology companies. Okay, so uh, at the very base, you know, it's technology that drives the company and uh, it's no surprise so here's what happened you get this terrible pandemic um, you have to do more with less 
So you gear up your technology to do more with less. And then when we come out of that pandemic and business picks up again, you suddenly realize, well, you know, some of that new technology we created, we don't need as many people around here as we did before. Now, from an economic standpoint, that would be called increased productivity. Okay, we found a way to do more with fewer people. Yeah. And uh, in the scheme of things, it's really not surprising that Twitter or Spotify or any other tech company keeps getting better at the technology. You know, they, they should be able to do more with less people as time goes on. What's happening now is the slowdown in the economy. Um, you know, is forcing them to make cuts and stuff, but it's not, not a surprise to me that their technology has grown to the point where they don't need as many people as they did. Well, and, and the other point on that is you look at something like comiXology, which is not, uh, not making money for Amazon because as Perch points out, if I go to buy a comic book in the comic book shop, I'm going to go buy a physical comic book the price on that book is $3.99, $4.99 cover price, right? <clears throat> if I go to Comixology to download the digital version of that comic book, I'm paying the same amount of money. So there's no real incentive. He said you've got early adopters that say, oh, digital comics, this is really cool. And you have these early adopters, but there's no follow through. There's no what he called, you know, the ho the hockey stick where the, where, where the trend becomes more people start to use this service. More people decide, I'm going to use digital comics instead of the floppies and instead of physical copies. And there's no incentive to go digital because the price is the same. I'm not saving anything if I'm, if I'm downloading a digital copy of Captain Marvel as opposed to going to the store and getting it. So it's a non-starter for a lot of people. There's no incentive to do it. and you're, you're basically just getting a PDF of the book. That's and, right. And, That's right. you know, and the Amazon guys, you know, now that they've taken over and, you know, the Comixology shop essentially is gone and the Amazon store is the new user interface, which everybody hated. So there's less reason now to go to Comixology and get the, get my comic books and, you know, not not even addressing the quality of the stories, you know, whether they're good stories or not, or politically driven or not, or the artwork is bad or not. I mean, I, I personally am not going to want to buy a book where Captain Marvel looks like a potato, whether it's a physical book or a digital book. Some right. people may go for that. I don't know, whatever. But, you know, there's no incentive to use this, this service. The, the primary incentive for uh, a lot of things like that is getting it, you know, quickly. Yeah. Basically. Like I was watching last night, uh, something, I, one of the shows, I don't know what it was. And they interviewed Mike Pompeo and they said, you know, Mike has a new book coming out tomorrow. Um, and I said to my wife that I'd like to, I'd like to read that book. I think he's an interesting guy. I kind of like him. Well, you know, I could wait until tomorrow and drive to a bookstore, although there aren't very many bookstores anymore, or I could go ahead and download it from Amazon as soon as it's there and save myself three or four days. Does it save me money? Probably not a lot of money, but what it does do is it puts it in my hands faster than if I waited and did it the other way. But it so, also, see, the thing is though, Dan, it also makes you vulnerable because let's say, but I, I ran into this. I had somehow 
set up two different accounts at Amazon. I'm not sure how right. I managed to do right. it. I think it, I right. think I think it happened when I tried to reset my password. Somehow I ended up creating a new account. So I've got my Kindle and I'm right. down, I'm downloading some books, one of them being John Carter and the Gods of Hollywood and I'm reading this book and it's it's a it's an excellent book. I highly recommend it for anybody who's who's uh, who reads. But I I get this thing and then I get locked out of my account. And I go I, to have to get, you know, okay, reset the thing and whatnot, and I get back in there, and all of my downloads are gone because that's it's so attached yeah. to the other account. It's not attached to this account. So I, I get in touch with Amazon. I say, can you merge them? They're both me. And they're like, no, we can't do that. Uh, okay, so my digital downloads are now all gone. So yeah, I'm looking at this. But the other the other part of that is, uh, Mr. Danford, we're looking at your Twitter activity and we really don't think that you posted some appropriate material. And we're going to we're going to lock you out of your account and you're not going to right. be able to access your material that you downloaded that you paid for. Or we're going to delete it all like they did with Jeremy at the quartering with Magic the Gathering stuff, because when he started exposing that there were sexual predators in the judges judges groups. They locked him out of his account, deleted everything that he had bought and paid for, but it's not a physical thing. You don't have it in your hand. It's just out there in the cloud somewhere and poof, gone. Yeah, no question. All those vulnerabilities are there. My point was merely that you can get things quicker sometimes by downloading them than waiting or driving someplace or whatever. Yeah. So I get all that. And the Amazon model you know, um, has been enormously successful, but it's also interesting, you know, you're talking about layoffs and things. Well, one of the things that, uh, that Amazon did recently that was pretty important is they had uh, a version called Amazon smile. And basically what this did was it was, it was for charities and nonprofits. Mm -hmm. And so basically what they said was, if you open an Amazon smile account and you buy whatever goods and services, just like you do otherwise, but we will give a percentage of those sales to the charity of your choice. Okay. So I had actually done that with a charity or two. I didn't use it as much as I could have or should have, but some people did. Well, Amazon just basically made the announcement that Amazon smile is no more. And my point in raising that is, you know, when good times are going on and the economy is booming there's a lot of stuff you let continue in your business because it, it may not be helping you much, but it's not hurting you much either. When times tighten up, then you start making changes. Right. You start saying, you know what? We aren't going to tolerate that anymore. It's not generating as much revenue for the amount of money we've put into it as if we took the same money and put it over here someplace. And I suspect that's part of what's happening with Disney, with Spotify, with Amazon. I mean, I just think it's happening across the board. People are tightening their belts, and that means they need to make some switches on how they do things. Is the belt tightening... Do you well? Let me. Do you think the belt tightening at all is driven by a realization that they've some of these companies have dug themselves into a hole with the politics? I think that's part of it. I think po politics is shifting somewhat. I, I see more evidence that people are resenting all the woke stuff. 
So, I mean, I, not everybody, obviously there's a group of people that like that a lot, but I think a lot of people who were tolerant for a long time have become less tolerant. But I think another important shift is, you know, the inflation of the last year or two. Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think in the entertainment industry, that's a big deal. I mean, I think when you can't go to the show and buy popcorn and drinks for less than 40 or 50 bucks, that keeps people, some people from going to the show. Right. And it, so I think part of it, and that may not be part of a recession per se. It's just the result of inflation on the things, on the way people buy. It's like, you can say that, that, you know, people are changing their pattern of buying things because of, of the price of eggs. You can say people are not buying eggs. So, well, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. Six months from now, we'll be able to look back on egg production and egg purchases, and we'll see how elastic that price was. You know, I, you know, and it's funny, we talk about, you know, various different things because because we 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 saw a lot of this coming, you know, a, a year ago, a couple of years ago. You know, we've got an extra freezer and we stock up a little bit. You know, we've got some canned goods and things because there was that initial panic. You know, all the toilet paper was gone. All the paper towels were gone. I was like, OK, something is going to happen and we started to see prices go up with meat and with with canned goods and vegetables and and now eggs and you know milk and that and so we said okay well we should probably buy one or two extras while the price is this because it's going to go up and we've seen that with everything energy prices gas prices you know uh, uh, home heating everything utilities and so some, some of that is, you know, so some of that is fiscal policy. I think part of it is because of, of enormous government spending. Mm -hmm. But I also think that uh, there are outside factors that play a part too. So like with the eggs, you know, number one, grocery prices have gone up. But we also know now that this avian flu has, has just decimated the chicken population. I, I spend a fair amount of time in Colorado and I read an article on, you know, the, the reduced number of chickens in Colorado. So it, it isn't that, you know, government policy necessarily made egg prices higher, yeah. but government policy plus the avian flu made, and, and it's the same with the supply chain. You can say, well, you know, everything's gone up. Well, Anything that's coming from another part of the world has gone up because of the supply chain. That's in addition to government spending. Right. So what it really does is it makes you vulnerable to these outside influences, and they make a huge difference on how people spend their money. Well, it doesn't help that we're sending how much, how many billions no. over to Ukraine to to fund a war that we probably shouldn't be getting in the middle of. Um, Speaking of speaking of which, I, I do have I do have this. This is not related to anything that we've been talking about, except now it comes up here. Um, it is now ninety seconds to midnight. Bum bum bum. All right, so the doomsday clock has moved closer uh, to to the end of the world as we know it, because uh, mainly of of stuff that's going on in Ukraine, but. Anyway, well, you talk you know, about the I, I tell the story, and uh, it's 
specifically related to investments, but everything else too. I started uh, in the investment world in April of 1984. That's when I went to work for a bank as a trust company. And I tell people, I said, you know what? Go grab copies of the Wall Street Journal. You know, every single day since then, <laughs> the sky was falling. Every single day. Yeah. There are headlines every single day. There, there are a group of people out there. there. There are a group of people out there. I don't like the Pollyannas either. That, you know, everything's going to be fine. You know, I, I don't much believe that. But neither do I believe that everything's going to hell all the time. Yeah. And there are a group of people who believe everything is going to hell all the time. You can always find that headline. Uh, it does worry me. Stuff like, you know, I, I do, I, I am concerned about the environment, not to the level a lot of people are concerned about, but I am concerned about it. I am concerned about, you know, wars, uh, all those kinds of things. Some people escalate it beyond reason. You know, Al Gore, for instance. He escalates it beyond reason. Have you seen Have you seen video of, of his his stuff out of Davos? My it's goodness, the man the man lost his mind. The oceans are boiling. You know uh, yeah. where? Show well, me one place on the entire world where the oceans are boiling. Well, it's between ridiculous. between him and John Kerry, I look at that whole outfit. I'm thinking, all right, this is this is a psyop. This has to be a psyop. You know for for. Who, who, who in their right mind would take these people seriously? And it, it says a lot about how much we've been manipulated by the media uh, to buy into this, to this, this stuff that's coming out of World Economic Forum. It's just crazy. They're, they're cartoonish, is what I would say. They are. They are. I mean, I mean, for John Kerry to sit up and say, well, we select few are going to be able to save the planet. It was like, no, you're not. You're, 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 you're not any more special than any of the rest of us. You and your private jets all lined up in the, in the airport there. I don't know. <laughs> One but of I would say he, he's very sincere in that belief. He is part of a select few. Lunatics, all of them. All right, so we've got this this one headline here. Regal Cinema is closing 39 more movie theaters. This is from January 20th of CNN Business. Uh, so Regal Cinemas. Now, there was some speculation that AMC Theaters might be buying Regal. That has been uh, uh, dis, uh, debunked since then, but... Uh, parent company Cineworld filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy after the pandemic devastated the industry and public screenings. In a filing this week, Cineworld said it is planning to reject leases for the 39 theaters beginning February 15th, saving the company $22 million annually. Um, do you think they survive at all? So I don't know whether they'll survive at all, but I do think it's interesting. That same article said... You know, part of the reason why they're going to reject these leases is that they're hoping that they can, you know, renegotiate the lease. I mean, one of the truths here is that a movie theater doesn't have a lot of other uses, yeah, right? Right. So if if they don't lease it, the owner of the building or the owner of the mall only has other movie companies to go to to get at least okay really right. tough situation so it's hard to see since they're in chapter 11 you know big part of chapter 11 is trying to renegotiate all your debts and all that kind of thing um it's interesting to see 
if nobody else is going to step in and take over those those uh, those theaters, is this a ploy to get better rates on on the lease? And um, you know how successful that'll be, I don't know. But I also know that a big empty theater doesn't do anybody any good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> Sorry about that. That's okay. That's that's all right. That's 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 a better alert than some of the ones that I've got, I guess. All right. So last last thing here. I don't know how much you've been taking a taking a look at uh, the stuff that's been going on with Wizards of the Coast and and Dungeons and Dragons and stuff. But we've got this uh, this article here from Morris's unofficial tabletop RPG news, and it talks about. Uh, kind of the same same sort of situation, I think, with what's going on at Disney when you have some activist capitalists, uh, you know, some capital companies, uh, some investment firms that are sitting there going, hey, some things need to change, Hasbro. Um, and in this particular case, it's Alta Fox Capital. And uh, it says here, before WotC began rolling out its monetization plans for D&D, Hasbro was under fire for not doing enough. Alta Fox Capital's blueprint has turned out to be prescient. Uh, they're an activist investor firm, owns 2.5% of Hasbro stock. And it says here, uh, and they're, they're talking about Hasbro needing to be fixed because they're underperforming. And this is not necessarily just about Wizards of the Coast and Dungeons and Dragons, although yeah. that's, that's a mess in and of itself. We talked about that a little bit yesterday. Um, but they're basically saying, you know, hey, uh, Hasbro, you've got you've got a problem you need to fix. And they're saying that they that they they're saying that Wizards of the Coast needs to be spun off. Hasbro needs to sell it. See, so, you know, if, if I'm an owner of Hasbro, I understand that they have some very valuable assets. And I'm not going to do anything to jeopardize those very valuable assets, <clears throat> but I'm also going to be willing to dump the ones that are not so valuable. Yeah. And this is what this is what corporate raiders do. This is what uh, shareholder activists do. They come in and they say, "Well, yeah, that's your pet project, but it's costing us money, and we'd be better off putting the same money into something else." So I don't know enough about the business model to know whether they're right or wrong. But I do know that if you own two and a half percent of the shares, you have clout and you may be able to get them to do yeah. um, the right business things. Um, and me, that's what they're trying to do. Let me ask you this, because some people have been speculating that. All right. So so Wizards of the Coast comes out with OGL 1.1, which everybody pushed back on the, the open gaming license. I don't. How let me let me set this up. How familiar are you with role playing game with D and D with Watsi with all of this stuff that's been going on? Not a lot, but okay. you know I understand it's out there. So you have Open Gaming License 1.0, which basically said that you can take elements of Dungeons and Dragons and you could go make your own game modules. You could go do your own thing with it, and we're not going to punish you. We're not going to we're not going to penalize you, or you know you have to pay us a licensee for you or anything like that. And it was supposed to be in, per, in perpetuity, irrevocable. Well, now Wizards of the Coast has got new executives being there coming from Microsoft. And D&D &D is under-monetized, right? Wizards of the Coast is under-monetized, which basically says we need, to, we need to milk it for all it's worth, right? 
And they come out with the OGL 1.1, which basically says, you know, the, you know, we're going to own everything. And if we like what you do, we'll claim ownership of it. And it's going to be ours. And nobody gets to do any homebrew stuff. There's all sorts of stuff that's in there that gaming gaming publishers and players alike push back on. They say, no, we don't like any of this stuff. And they started canceling their subscription to D&D Beyond, which is the online community. And so some people had speculated that Hasbro finally said, why are all these people taking their money away from you? What's going on here? And then we get this, we get the first apology from Watsi, which was pretty tone deaf. And then we get the second apology from Watsi about three or four or five days later, which is a little bit more, <laughs> more detailed. Now we're going to have draft 1.2 out. And some people at that point were speculating that Hasbro had put some pressure on, on Wizards of the Coast. And now I'm wondering if Hasbro is putting pressure on Watsi to, you know, instead of $100, $150 million a year, we want you to be making $250, $300 million a year so we don't have to sell you off and we can head off Alta Fox here and we don't have to do what they say and let them have some influence. It, all of that is highly possible. If Microsoft people are involved, you know, there's nobody that knows more about licensing than those guys. You know, they <laughs> license everything. Right. Uh, it used to be you you bought it and you got a lifetime license. Now, pretty much, you pay a monthly fee for almost everything they've yeah. got. And uh, if they truly believe that those are under monetized, then they're trying to find revenue sources somehow. Yeah, well, um, they're talking about virtual tabletop. They're talking about microtransactions. You know, if you want a new costume for your character, that's going to be a transaction. You want a new weapon, that's a transaction. You want a new map, that's a transaction, all this stuff. And they're taking the video game mentality, the video game mindset, and trying to apply it to a pencil and paper tabletop role-playing game. I mean, this is Dungeons & Dragons. You don't play D&D on the computer. Yeah, it will be very... So, uh, no question, what you just described is absolutely what's going on. The question is, can they be effective? I mean, even if even if they do it exactly the way they want to, will two years from now, will it have generated enough revenue to give them what they wanted? Yeah. And that remains to be seen. You know, we don't know. All we know is they're trying. I uh, I have a feeling that they're going to feel a little pain uh, before that because, you know, you've got other other gaming publishers. You know, Paizo's come out and they said, all right, we're done with OGL. We're not going to do any of that. We're coming up with our own game license. And they've got 1,500 other publishers and creators that have signed on to this thing. You know, Wizards of the Coast has basically shot themselves in the head with this with this, and they're losing market they're going to lose market share they're going to lose audience you know the people are going to sit there and go we're done you know we're not going to give you my i'm I'm not going to give you any more of my money i'm going to take it over here to troll world games i'm going to take it over to to pathfinder i'm going to take it over to um uh uh uh, giant lands all all of these other companies over here that don't have anything to do with you maybe i'll even buy some stuff from the new tsr who knows yeah, but I'm not giving Wizards of the Coast any more of my money, and they're going to feel that. I think they already are. Yeah, yeah. 
it's it's so interesting to watch, especially in the world of technology, where things can change so quickly. Yeah. It's so interesting to watch people go in and try to figure out how to monetize things. And some things they come up with work and some of them just blow up in their face. And uh, you don't know until six months or six years later right. whether it worked or not. All right. So here's here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask Mr. Predicto. Is Wizards of the Coast going to make the right business decisions and do right by their customers? The answer is unclear. Try again. See? Even that's, can- that's what I said, isn't it? Right? <laughs> I have no idea. I have no idea. All right. So we're going to leave it at that. Uh, good to have everybody in the chat. We can continue this conversation over in our Discord server, and there is an actual pretty lively conversation going on over there in the tabletop thread, so you can join us over there for that. And in the meantime, uh, Dan, stick around after this. i got a couple of questions for you offsite. Uh, in the meantime, connect with us on uh, various different social media sites, all these different platforms where you can find us, all these video platforms, the newsletter. But make sure you sign up on our Discord. And don't forget, we do have memberships active now, so you can join the channel and support us that way. And... Uh, We'll keep rolling out some stuff through 2023. We've got some we've got some plans and and uh, we'll see what's going on. All right, coming up tonight, we've got a new H2O podcast, 8 p.m. Eastern, 7 Central, and then on Thursday, a new Ranker Pit uh, talking about all things Star Wars. We'll probably take a look a little bit at the Disney stuff, uh, the Lucasfilm things. Who knows? Uh, and then, of course, you always want to join us here. At 1 p.m. Eastern, Monday through Open Line Friday for uh, for this show. And then coming back on Saturday, a brand new season starts of Foreign Bodies. Mrs. Walker and Mr. Harvey are back 1 p.m. Eastern. Uh, they are going to be looking at some work by a man, actually two men, named Cronenberg. So that's uh, coming up this weekend. Of course, Good Morning Multiverse at 11 a.m. Eastern. We stay busy here. <sighs> But watch the socials. We'll, we'll post updates and links and all of that stuff. Uh, and that's going to do it for us today, folks. Thanks very much for being here. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of SciFiForMe.com. Copyright 2023 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. You're listening to Sci-Fi For Me Radio. 